Brewers of Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we discuss the two greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings, but other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouth. My name is Joe Hilliard. Here with me every week is my good buddy, Dave Gurney. And I have a very good friend uh, who I'm introducing to the podcast audience for the first time, although he, he's been among the audience. I feel like he's maybe even chimed in before online when there's been some sort of conversation, but he's actually kind of a, a hermit when it comes to social media, I'd say, generally. He, he just crawls out every once in a while to, <laughs> to, to launch a missile at humanity, and then he kind of retreats. The man of the hour is Jeremy Alexander. Thank you for being here, Jeremy. Thanks for having me, guys. And just tell me real quick, how long have y'all known each other or how do y'all know each other? High school, uh, yeah. you know, early. Sophomore year. Yeah, so his sophomore like year, my freshman year, yeah. Good uh, film buddies all along the way. Well, Definitely uh, uh, Jeremy was somebody who, who exposed me to many films early on and, and hopefully vice versa. Hopefully I let him into some things. Well, but, Jeremy, yeah. I hope you're going to stick around to a on After Hours where I can probe your brain to get to know a little bit more about David through you because there's <laughs> that, a lot absolutely. of explaining to do. <laughs> I was going to do Radio Lab instead, but I decided they didn't have beer and movies. So, <laughs> just radios and labs. And that's no fun. Okay. So, David, you go once a year to Maine on a yeah. pilgrimage back home. And oftentimes you'll bring back amazing beer. Uh, Jeremy, you're recording from Maine. So, it only makes sense that, you know, David brings a little bit of Texas to you. That's the stretch that we're going to do here <laughs> as to why we're drinking a good old fashioned Spetzel Brewery Shiner Bach out of Shiner, Texas. We're in Texas. This beer screams Texas. Yeah, I was kind of shocked, Joe, actually, when we looked at the spreadsheet where we catalog all the beers that we drink on the podcast, that this one had not shown up. We've had other Spetzel beers, others under that Shiner label, but uh, we've never done the Bach. And this is really the flagship beer. This is the one that you're going to see uh, yeah, this is the outside one. of Texas. Yeah. yeah. Jeremy, how prevalent in Maine is the Shiner Bach brand and Shiner Bach? Not super prevalent. I had to go on a tiny mission to find it, but I found it and it's delicious. I've never had it before. So This beer in college, so now we're talking 93-ish, was my first step into the craft beer thing. It had been cheap beer, keg beer, fraternity beer, you know. But once right. I could start buying beers, I was 21. Once I could start buying them, I got really tired really quick of another 16-ounce Miller Lite. And the Shiner was always available in Waco, Texas. So this really is my first step into craft beer. It has an important position on my journey as well. I remember, I think I was drinking maybe a little craft beer before I moved to Texas uh, in Maine. Certainly there was plenty of it in Maine, but I wasn't necessarily gravitating towards it to the same amount. I mean, also not as much disposable income at that point in my life when I, when I was younger. Yeah, because Shiner was always on the imports list, <laughs> even though it came from a brewery a couple hundred miles well, away. Well, so I was going to say moving to Texas, this was sort of like, at least in Austin, an omnipresent kind of option mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. was different than your typical domestic beer that you would like your Budweiser, your Miller Lite, those huge macro beers that you see everywhere. And so there was something a little bit different about it. And it was clearly this Texas connection to it, um, you know, given that it was made in Texas. So it was one that I learned early on. So that was like 2004 yeah. was when I started drinking this. And uh, now almost 20 years later, you know. Well, Jeremy, enjoy. I'm surprised you guys haven't done it yet. Yeah. I'm glad you're doing it now. We're checking off the box here so so we can uh, make sure we get good representation and well a nice connection across the country here. So, you know, what are we looking at this week? There's no great tie-in here from Bach to, <laughs> to, to the uh, subject matter of the film. The newest film from Alexander Payne. Alexander Payne, of course, being the director who brought us uh, films such as Election, About Schmidt, more recently, The Descendants, and uh, and, and several others o over the years. Uh, folks, uh, you know, have sort of prized him for his dark, satirical takes on American life, but also having sort of a heart and kind of a, a, a sympathy to his characters, even if they are kind of sending up some of the worst traits of American life in, in the 20th and 21st century. Here, what we have is this 2023 release called The Holdovers. Mm -hmm. I didn't get, I didn't do it. I no. was going to reverse it. Where we have him reteaming with the man who had starred in probably his most critically praised film, right? I mean, I would say Sideways is the film that really kind of, yeah. yeah. 
Now here we are 19 years later, reteaming with Paul Giamatti, who was the lead in Sideways. Yeah. Here, Giamatti is playing Paul Hunnam, a teacher at a private boarding school, somewhat elite private boarding school in New England. He is charged with staying over the winter break, the, the, the one that would cover you know Christmas and New Year's and all that, with the few students who are unlucky enough to have to stay there over the break because their parents either can't uh, afford to bring them home or, or, or have other plans right. and aren't able to see them. So Hunnam is going to be there, their caretaker. He's clearly established early on as a very strict and like a real Debbie Downer of, of sorts and, yeah. and, you know, brooding and, and, and sort of a principled one. Um, He's a him... prick and everyone thinks so. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We see him sparring with his headmaster. We see him sparring with his students. We see him being relatively ungrateful to gestures of kindness uh, that are put towards him by his co-workers, right? So, but Hunnam stays there uh, initially with four children. It becomes, or four young people, young men, becomes five when a boy who thought he was going to be going home is is sort of, uh, or not, he th thinks he's going on a vacation, gets stuck there. And he is indeed the character that gets most closely uh, entangled with Hunnam due to circumstances that unfold. So, you know, basic concept here, boarding school, over the break, small group of students kept there with one teacher. Will relationships form? Will growth be had? I think that Let's you expect it to from the very first frame from the trailer. You know that the <laughs> four souls that are left there, the teacher, the student, and the cafeteria worker, that's three, right, are going to go on a trajectory of sorts and hope that this pain that's in their life that they don't tend to talk about with anybody that's what you learn early on is that these people are in pain for reasons that we're going to learn. And we hope that by the end of the film, there is that arc. It's setting itself up at the beginning to be a very uh, standard kind of feel good film. We talked about that with Radical. Now, I know, Jeremy, you're a pain fan. Were you excited for this one when you saw the trailer or, or was this one that you, you had to maybe hold your breath and kind of say, oh, I don't, I don't know if I want to see medicine. him going here. This isn't his normal territory. He doesn't go for the, you know, like coming of age. Right. Yeah, I was. I was excited. Uh... I'm always excited for his films. I, it did seem a little um, paint by numbers, sort of, you know, like Joe was saying, as far as the trailer, it was, you kind of know what you're going to get. And it did hit all those beats, but surprisingly, it still didn't feel redundant or derivative or, you know. This isn't a film that feels very complicated in, in what it's trying to do, right? No. I, I gave you, we, we've had films set at boarding schools, films with school age young men, young mm -hmm. women, in this case, men, it's a boys' school who are in that moment in their life where they're having to make decisions, they're dealing with the whatever their family situation has been, trying to find kind of a path forward. So we know, right? Yeah, they, I mean, this is. And, and like you say, Jeremy, I think there's a lot of beats that you would anticipate in this film. But I do think that pain, something that I would associate with him, is he brings kind of a freshness to certain pieces of it in ways that I think transcend or go beyond what I would think of as the absolute plainest sort of paint by numbers version of it right? i think what you're trying to say he yeah. brought the pain he brought the pain yeah yeah right. in, in a sense joe and i just saw this film actually mm -hmm. i should mention okay. yeah rarely do we record just about coming out of the film to drive over here to do this you gave me just enough time to tidy up i'll say from the outset i love the look and feel of this film it's very much a period piece this is set in 1970 as 70s going into 71 right it covers new year's eve uh, right. into new year's so what we have is, you know, the look of that time period. It's winter in New England. This is a setting that I'm familiar with. Jeremy, I feel like you might have some familiarity with it. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, very familiar environs in that time period, you know, everything from the cars to the clothing, the soundtrack, right, which I think was carefully curated here. Some interesting choices for some more contemporary artists in there, like Damien mm. Gerardo shows up, but a lot of music from that period and certainly from different, you know, angles. The the music that the students might have been listening to, we hear Chambers Brothers when they're in the dorms, you know, getting ready to pack up. And that's kind of a, it's been, how many times has time has come today been used in, especially Vietnam films. I feel like mm -hmm. that's one of the, like, go-to. Vietnam is a little bit of the backdrop for this film, too. Oh, this movie covers a lot of wide territory. Yeah. <laughs> The uh, 70s are alive and well with this, <laughs> this film. Not only does it take place in the 70s, obviously, 
it's shot and filmed like they would a movie back in the actual 70s you know right down to the credits i mean yes everything it was it was amazing in that that regard you know oh, i thought there were some filmmaking touches here that were just borderline brilliant the opening sequence of establishing mood and tone and and time period was just these still shots that you know he beautifully composed with his dp and just into one another once we and get- also laid out those titles beautifully with it did you notice yes. the char- like how they were oh, laid? like absolutely. it was all very tidily done and it it looked very 70s but also very is beautifully done. it was engineered that way with the opening uh production company sequences that had been retrograded mm-hmm. to the time period i mean they were fantastic i love that the editing choices in this movie and moving time along. Uh, one of the first things we see is day one because there's gonna they're gonna be there for 14 days altogether, and the right. date. And when Christmas falls in those 14 days is important. The action that occurs after Christmas is important, but we don't see day one, day two. They come in sporadically just to remind us of the journey. I think that we're going on. I liked this movie so so <laughs> much, Jeremy. I don't Stay know if you got a chance to hear our uh, Sofia Coppola. Priscilla episode, but David talked at length about how this was a return to form for Sofia Coppola that he really hoped he would see. I feel the same way about Payne here. His last few movies have not been disappointing. They're always solid, but this feels like we're back to sideways territory. I agree. Nebraska was was fun, but I had some issues with it, you know. Uh, Descendants was interesting, but yeah. Descendants, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Descendants feels like a natural progression in a career of someone who's now step-laddering up Hollywood. He's got George Clooney, the biggest star of the time. He's this art house darling because of that Sideways fame. But I didn't, I felt like Descendants didn't reach what Sideways was for me at the time. What was before this? Downsizing? Downsizing was the most recent I haven't even seen it. And that I was saw, kind yeah. of a notorious flop, right? But he'd been was working on doing a, that for like 20 years. Yeah, so. it was it was a script he believed in. I mean, he definitely wanted to do it. I'm actually somebody who, who's a bit of an apologist for it. Like, I see the Nadir for him, for me, as Descendants. That that was about the the weakest I felt coming out of any of his films. In part, it felt like it was a little autopilot, and I was looking for something just a little yeah, bit. I completely agree with autopilot. Exactly. That's a what, good right. way to put it. Downsizing felt, if anything, too ambitious. This feels like kind of getting back into a mode that he was re- that is comfortable, but at the same time, again, like I said, he doesn't usually do a coming of age film. This is a different kind of subject matter, father son relationships kind of has been in there and a little bit in his film, certainly Nebraska, but I don't think something that he's minding quite this way. So I think this is fresh material for him in in some ways, even if he's bringing some of his old tricks to it. You know, we've already talked a bit about the look of it, the composition of shots and everything. But I think across the board, this film really impressed me at how beautiful it was. It was was. just like so many of these moments in the film where you could just literally stop it, take a screen grab, you know, and, and, you know, put it into a photo book. And it would feel like something you just want to meditate to. Like, it's just beautiful. Again, wintry New England shots, even once they get to Boston, um, you know, they have that excursion where, uh, you know, he, he kind of. Uh, finally, Hunnam wears down and sort of uh, relents to Tully's plea to, you know, take him on a field trip of sorts. And that's clearly a place where they bond to. And we learn more about the character. But it all looks so great. So performance wise, here's where I get into And I want to ask, especially oh. Jeremy. OK, so uh, Jamadi, he, he can do no wrong. I'm, so, I'm sorry. You just can't. No, right? he's he's incredible in this. It, incredible. There are so many moments in this film where it's just a sort of still shot, often a close-up of his face. And there's so much to read there at every every turn. And that's, you know, part of that is a great script, but part of that is just Jamadi being amazing at, you know, yeah. sort of that non-verbal aspect of communication. Especially at playing a curmudgeon. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, he can, he can play anything, but he's otherworldly when it comes, you know, to playing, you know, a quintessential curmudgeon. Agreed. And we've seen that before, but here with the wonky eye mm-hmm. th- that could have turned into caricature yeah, and right. silly yeah. buffoonery, but always kind of stays on the right side of that, right? Did you feel that way? I, I do. I mean, it's all about the character development here, and we learn more about each character as they go along. He delivers maybe the best performance he's ever done in this film may be the best one he's ever done and i it's hope a, it that feels like a career defining when, kind it, of when it comes to academy stuff 
uh, you know, when we get to there, I hope he is nominated for this. It is that good. I agree. I agree. Uh, thank you. I don't. I don't know that he'll get recognized. Which I just be a think, shame. in terms of the quality of the work, absolutely. In terms of like what, because a lot of times those acting Oscars, it's not just about how well the role is deployed. It's like. What does that role, what does that character say in like the greater framework of what Hollywood is doing or what, you know, what film is doing at this moment? I'm looking at this compared to a film like Killers of the Flower Moon and I'm thinking it's more showy. Well, not even just it's more showy. It's more like relevant. It's part of this kind of revisionist history trying to like peel back layers of, you know, I, I think people will see that as work that's more important than this. But that's no knock against Jamadi. I, I do think that uh, Dominic Sessa, who I don't know from anything else, had, had either of you guys seen him? That I think he plays this is his first film, I think. It know? is? Okay. I believe so. I'm not. He was great. I think he does an outstanding job. Okay. Divine Randolph, who I like, who I like, and Mary Lamb, the character I like. It, it works. The accent that she's doing in this, she's doing kind of a Boston accent at time, like a New England accent. She's choosing to like make her R's into H's at times. Mm. It didn't, there were times where it was put in there and it felt so forced and strange. I honestly thought that maybe there were a couple scenes at the beginning where I thought, oh, is she doing like an accent? Is she an immigrant? Are we going to find out that she actually came from, I don't know, some other country abroad? But that didn't, and it just became clear to me, no, it's like a weird New England accent that they're working on here. At least that's my take on it. Did it stick out to either of you guys? Maybe I'm a, I'm alone on this. Not to me, not really. But I know what okay. you're saying, that it did seem like, are they going to suggest that she's from somewhere else? And they never really hone in on that. But it didn't But I mean, out. I think there were many moments I loved. I think she did a great job overall. But the accent threw me off a little bit, especially towards the beginning. Well, coming from Texas and not the New England area, it didn't. I didn't. You, it didn't, didn't register, register for you. Now okay. there was a note in her performance that I didn't quite agree with, but then she would just redeem it over and over and yeah. over again. And I think her story, which we haven't talked about at all, is so integral here. And the way it was edited, it did not come off as schmaltzy or cheesy the way the Dead Son narrative sometimes can. It's just kind of sometimes put in there because it's instant empathy for the character. But mm -hmm. it really works here. And there is a scene. She So she explains later in the film that she took a job when her son was very young so that he would be insured in education, alluding to maybe... Maybe the staff gets some free tuition. Right. And then he went and died in uh, Vietnam and he's, she is still mourning him. There is a scene where she takes a trek with them to Boston for the purpose of putting his baby items that she's been holding dear in a box into the, uh, her upcoming niece or nephews, uh, the, their, her sister is pregnant drawer. And I was like, oh, this is a little schmaltzy. But then the the sister comes in and they just hug silently. Ooh, my allergies kicked <laughs> off. It might have been the Twizzlers. <laughs> Had you guys seen that actress before? Divine? Yeah. Divine Randolph? She yeah. Was, she was in Dolomite is my name. I just see that on the credits, but I don't recall her performance. She was in that High Fidelity series, if you ever um, – mm -hmm. the, the one with uh, okay. uh, Zoe Kravitz. I don't remember. Definitely worth checking out, actually. But yeah. back in the days of uh, Carlos on the podcast with oh, us, which, he, he and I were fans um, as that was oh, rolling out. All three of us. And did you watch it along with us? Okay, I thought maybe you were standoffish. Okay, well, all three of us were, were unanimous that we liked it. It's sad that it didn't, didn't get a second season, but she was sort of the uh, the Jack Black corollary, I would say. Oh, okay, that makes in, sense. In that version. Um, and she also showed up in Only Murders in the Building, if either of you guys watched that one, with uh, Martin, yeah. Steve Martin and Martin Short. Oh, definitely worth it. It's Oh, really? All right. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hulu series. Anyway, so so she's been popping up in things more recently, and I think she maybe did stand up for a while. I don't know if she still does. We'll let any fool do that. All that was to say, like, the, the accent threw me off a little bit initially, but I agree, Joe. That scene really got me. Um, there was also the moment at the party that really got me. They they go to a Christmas Eve party. Oh, God. Um, and she, you know, again, drinks a little too much. I love the moment with the Artie Shaw record where she's, you know, kind of reminiscing about how her son liked this somewhat, you know, quote unquote, antiquated music at that time. Why would a young guy like this kind of music? 
and then the young hip guy who's actually credited. That was one of the things that I laughed at in the credits. It said hip guy at party, I think, was what he was credited as because he's oh, like, nice. can you put on something hipper than <laughs> one of the other? I don't know if you noticed his other credit, chef salad student. Because yeah. I, I want to talk about how <laughs> how funny the, the movie they, was. I think the movie was so filled with comedic moments, but it's not a hangover or old school type hit you over the head with these types of jokes. The writing was just so authentic, I guess, to the period, but the boys being boys, the way they would speak, the locker room talk at the time, <laughs> it was wonderful every single time. When he returns the photo that he had stolen from our main character and wrote fuckwad with an arrow <laughs> down, that's exactly what would have happened. And that scene at the party where she breaks down, it was understated, though. You know, it could have gone in a million Mm-hmm. Oh, I, and I was worried. Big and broad, and uh, it never did. Paul Giamatti just kind of slowly closes the door because this is going to be a private moment yeah. for us to solve. And it was those little touches throughout were very human and real. Yeah, yeah that was beautiful. And she had a little character trait where uh, she never wanted to be touched. You know, I thought that was interesting. They just yeah. she never wanted to be touched. You know, or was it that she didn't want to be touched, or she didn't want to be pursued romantically as? assertively as the gentleman that showed up at the party was doing it. That's what I thought. I think Back both. Off. I'm not I ready th- for that. I think that. it was intimacy. I mean, I think it was physical touch. Like Jeremy's saying, there are moments definitely where she's kind of like, you can tell she's recorded. But then I think that it's, it's a bigger like her not being ready to be close to anybody else yeah. until she gets right. back with her sister there and she connects with another. Moment, yeah. yeah. Like it, it's, that's how raw she is, right? I thought it was, yeah. I, yeah, I thought this movie was phenomenal. It's pretty tough to, I mean, <laughs> again, I think from a relevancy standpoint, this may be one that, and I'm talking like, you know, cultural, like things that feel like they're dealing with contemporary issues, even if, you know, I feel like it suffer, it will suffer a little bit in that, in the sense that I don't think people will find um, this to be something like, you have to go see it, where I think, it really is something that people. Oh should no! Go I'm, I, I, as soon as we get done recording and we lift the ban on you and I being able to talk about these things, I will go suggest everybody go see this, yeah. especially same. if you're a sideways fan. Yeah, same. I was a little bit reluctant just because it seemed like it was going to hit all the beats that those kind of films hit, and I was just so glad that I saw it. I, I loved it. You know, uh-huh. I closed my eyes during the shoulder relocation. I closed my eyes. I I couldn't do it. Jeremy, bones scraping against each other is just a weird thing that I can't do. That definitely got me. I didn't look away fully, but I I was tempted. I mean, it it felt like, okay, how how graphic is this going to get? They actually cut away to... uh, Giamatti's reaction more than right. uh, that. Well, right before Giamatti looks like there's a little smirk of he's like he's glad that he's uncomfortable. Yeah, and then yeah. it quickly turns to oh shit, that yeah. seems like it hurts. Well, and <laughs> yeah. you hear that crack. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. No, very well done. Okay, so David shows up with an extra six pack, Jeremy, <laughs> and that's uh, of high life. Yeah. Yes. Okay, I had to. So we. Like I said, we literally Rogue just beer. came from the film. We didn't know Rogue going into beer. it how much there is this great, and it's a great scene in the film uh, where you know Tully, the student, has won over Hunnam a little bit by essentially helping cover for him. That dislocated shoulder—that's something that might have gotten Hunnam fired because you know, again, like a student gets seriously injured on his watch, blah blah blah. But he kind of covers up for him at the hospital and. You know, the thing he asked for in return is that, hey, give me a little something. Take me to the local beer and burger joint and we'll, you know, get get something to, you know, good. And he's pushing for getting a beer. And, of course, what he's asking for is Miller High Life, which is noted as the champagne of beers, not just by, by him, many characters, absolutely. but also yeah. by the waitress who is moonlighting. She's also a, a worker at the school. She's the one where they go to the Christmas party. Love the, the great screenwriting here, oh, right? Yeah. Like finding ways to tie these people together yes. um, in a community that feels very lived in and very real. Um, but, you know, she repeats the same thing later. You know, that's the beer that gets ordered when uh, when uh, Hunnam wants to make up for the uh, Tully's maybe uh, – faux pas <laughs> right. with the locals where, where he got assertive with his right to the uh, arcade, the, the uh, pinball, pinball machine. machine. Yeah. Um, and, and he ends up buying them a Miller for that. And, and later on it gets brought up again. So it gets repeatedly brought up in the film. It's this prominent thing. So yeah, I had to, when I was stopping at the store to get the shiner, I had to get some high life. Sorry, Jeremy. Uh, just, uh, just sorry. Uh, I almost yet, I mentioned it yesterday when we were uh, trying to figure out some proper pairings, but 
I also thought, do you really want to review? <laughs> we've done High Life on the show. I'm pretty sure that we've done High I'll, Life. I'll look it up. I'm sure we have. If not, I think it's been a rogue beer before where it's come up because it is one of those beers that has I, partly the tagline, I think, you know, the champagne of beers, but, you know, partly just the iconic bottle and all that that does show up in films from time to time, even I don't think through product placement, but just, you know, like conscious decision on a filmmaker's part. I like what this represents. That was another touch in the film that I thought for sure it was going to go in an area that I presumed, and then it zagged. Like, I thought at some point he was going to have a beer with a kid, you know? And it yeah. never really happens. He always keeps it very by the book and adult, you know? Hey, David, we have not done Miller High Life before. Oh, my gosh. It's well, the champagne of beers. I guess this kind of counts. Yeah, rogue, kinda? rogue beers are always <laughs> so much fun. No, I loved it. Uh, we're we're back to sideways level pain, and uh, that'll lead us right into the second half. Well, I got one issue I want to discuss. Oh, let's hear it. So, air, air your grievances. I thought it was borderline perfect film, so uh, don't get me wrong. But the only issue that I seem to have is that the glove. You know, there's a scene where there's the bully character. Pulls off the, yeah. Rips the glove off of the young Mormon kid and he throws it into the woods, the snowed woods. Number one, it's a little knit glove. So honestly, how far is this glove going? (laughs) And the kid can't find, and the kid can't find it. (laughs) And then it seems to come up again, I think, with Giamatti later on in the scene. Is that what he picks up off the ground? Oh, was but, it? I didn't even pick that up. Graphically, it didn't make any sense. No, I don't oh, think I that that's I what he picked up. I don't, I, I don't no, remember that. He saw something in the ice, and he, I thought, oh, that's not the same glove. I mean, I had no, the same exact be. thought. I cannot remember what he picked up, but it wasn't the glove. That scene is a little superfluous because all of those characters end up leaving. Right. He thinks he's going to be, uh, be uh, five, five kids there, and it turns out that one of them is wealthy. His dad says, uh, the helicopter showed up. You can bring all of your friends with you to go skiing. But because of what we learn about the parents, which we haven't even talked about, I guess we don't need to, our one student can't go. We probably should. I mean, th- this is this is a good The thing movie tackles a lot. It does. It does. I mean, like you said, you have the uh, – we've already talked a little bit about the backdrop of the – um, you know, Mary, whose son has died in Vietnam just, you know, a year after her graduation. So you have the backdrop of what happens to the students who aren't from the elite backgrounds, even if they get the scholarship or their parent works there and they're able to go. Like, does that actually set them up for future success? Can they? No, they might have to go into the military. Here you have the child who's very privileged comes in and sort of rescues the rest of them. But the student who um, we end up focusing on, Tully, has a different background where it is privileged to an extent, but he's clearly been lacking in parental attention in that his dad has had, a, you know, th- this becomes a big part of the film, has had a significant mental breakdown, um, has been institutionalized, and that's clearly taken all of his mother's energy and and she's trying to almost start over and have this new life with this man they're choosing to use the break time as their honeymoon period right um, right so so he's being discarded in favor of this new relationship he'd been telling people that his dad was dead so that was a nice that was a nice That's little right. twist you know when when that revealed itself i liked that okay here's my not problem i just want to work it out and this is major spoilers the whole ending of the film when Hunnam throws himself on the sword. Mm. Is that a little too much or is that exactly where we needed to go? It's the dead poet society ending. You know, that's where I was a little bit. uh, I agree. I had issue with that because the headmaster guy there that used to be a student of Giamatti's. uh, (laughs) He does get to use the penis cancer line. That's pretty funny. (laughs) He does. But when he initially tells him that he's going to be watching the students for the two weeks that he's that's his duty and he tries to tell him to be nicer to the kids and so i kind of thought he was going to say you know you did the right thing and there's going to be no repercussions you know from yeah. it uh, so it seemed like a bit of a stretch that really we're firing him just because you know he did that but the, the power, the power wanted, of wealth. You know? But the headmaster was looking for an excuse, too. It's set up that he's yeah, really right. angry. Right. He's really he's angry about Hunnam having not given a passing grade to a student who was incapable of doing work that would allow him to pass, but was from a wealthy family that were benefactors. Yeah, his father was a senator. Yeah. To me, what that was all about was Hunnam needed an out. He realized that he had he trapped stuck. himself. Yeah. Right. Now, he. He had put himself in that box, and as much as there was a reality to, yes, Barton, that was the school, right? Yes. Barton was his family. 
that it, it wasn't a functional family for him. And he was this kind of, uh, you know, this niche that he had filled there was only a very limited version of who he was. And so he needed to get out of there for his own growth, I feel like. I wouldn't have liked leaving the theater with Hunnam having still been at Barton when, uh, you know, the boy left or whatever, you know. Unless he was going to be teaching a new style that the students began to click with. Yeah, maybe. There, there's a version of that, but I think they had set enough stuff in no, motion with him wanting to write a book, wanting to go to Greece, wanting to do right. this stuff. is like a, the movie set me up to realize, okay, there's something more in this guy than what he's fully sure. pulled out of himself. Or what he believes he, about he himself. He needs an or, opportunity right. to like – kick it into a different gear yeah we don't get a ton of his backstory we know that he's got some sort of um hygienic uh thing where he doesn't <laughs> break down proteins so he smells like fish uh as the day grows along right that was an interesting character time i thought balding was bad <laughs> yeah well I <laughs> no let, again i think that's some of the pain magic here is like the warts and allness of his films right like sure. he likes including characters that are very human in all of their failings and frailties not just their you know genuine empathy and and like the beautiful gestures it's also the i mean that shot of him going to bed that night where he's you know like mistakenly but you know misbuttoned his uh night shirt right and oh, right. he's got the jim beam bottle like open by his bed he takes his like final swig he kind of like you know flatulates as he turns over yes. to get it i mean it's just like the perfect kind of yeah. i feel like about schmidt had those moments with nicholson well certainly election had it with i think there were things oh, ways election. that the characters became mm. grotesque and like especially the sex scenes i mean yeah. i th there's no real sex scenes here but Pain can do something that makes sex just feel like very gross, primal, and yeah. <laughs> prime, but yeah, like troubling. Well, yeah. as opposed to like well lit and choreographed right, right. love making scenes, his are typically more animalistic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, get the guy some cologne though. I mean, you know, shouldn't have to <laughs> go into the stall. <laughs> so many funny. I mean, it's yes, really this movie's packed. I think, comedy. like you say, Joe, this isn't a hangover, but it is the holdovers. No, <laughs> I laughed and <laughs> no, laughed and laughed packed with little comic moments the pacing is a little bit slower it does mm -mm. give you those kind of no 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 not in a bad way it gives you drawn out moments look some of those la the land way. the land yes i like it i like it when a film slows down a little bit like that and like and jeremy succeeds. said i think it's very in sync with how a lot of films of this i think of hal ashby i think of these filmmakers who just kind of like will let you sit with these characters in mm -hmm. their environments. You get to see the mise-en-scene. You get to kind of take it in. Mm -hmm. th th that That's the story el storytelling element chosen. Yes. Is let's marinate with these people a little bit and show you, like you say, not just warts and all, but little idi idiosyncrasies and all of them, especially Giamatti had them. Great there movie. is a distinct lack of uh, multiverses, though, and uh, because of that, it... <laughs> yeah, a group of us went to go see it, including our guest Roland, and he said, Holdover 2, the holdovering. <laughs> I thought it would be holdover harder, but no, great, great, great movie that I, I mean, I just, I did want to bring up like 2023 has been a wonderful year of movies. I mean, great, if I just look at the list. And we're not, we're, we're only, the, you know how this yes? works. Yes. The, the, End of the year is always packed with some of the best stuff. Oppenheimer, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, Barbie. I mean, how many times have we been elated this year already? And I'm going to say Megan. I'm just going to say it. Yeah, Megan's Bo was still afraid. Come on. I haven't seen it yet. I've seen it I'll three or four it times, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> Megan? I got kids, so. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we didn't bring a Maine beer to Texas. We took a Texas beer up to you, Jeremy Maine. She said this is your first time to have a Shinerbach? Yeah, it is. Well, lay it on us. That's crazy. I can't believe that at some point when I, that's funny, but I'm never thinking about Texas beer when I'm in Maine usually, unless it's fancy, fancy Texas beer. Like I brought some Jester King up, I think, to share. But do you drink box very often? Are there are there any prominent Maine box? I don't even think there are. None that I can think of. No. Yeah, this is like the champagne of Texas. Beer, <laughs> <you know? laughs> <laughs> uh oh, <laughs> I have I've talked about it a couple times here. I have such an interesting relationship with Scheinerbach because I've always thought that as a brewery grows in distribution and the idea that Shiner is available in Maine for you to just go pick up, you know, easily means that they are all over the country. And I always assume that you will definitely see a degradation of product. So if you consider that first step into craft beardom with Shinerbach, my journey certainly has been a lot more complete. And I find now a Shinerbach to be much more thin and less flavorful 
than I did remember it being the first few that I ever ordered. And the conventional wisdom by many friends, including you, David, is, well, one of two things is happening. Number one, the product is indeed degrading. Or number two, your palate has become more robust, which is so pretentious and so silly to say, but I believe that to be the case because I will get a Shiner. It's on my top three beers if there is no other craft option and there is a Shiner and I want a beer in that moment. Shiner is where I will go because of that loyalty. I don't know if I said anything just now. <laughs> no, no it's, you're right. It is light and thin, but not in a pejorative way. You know, it's 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 good. This is kind of a, I mean, and I know Jeremy listens occasionally. Like, you, you know that Joe and I kind of have this divide on our beers. Like, where I'm, I, as I've gone into my, I, I don't know, whatever, you know, this era of my beer drinking, I have gravitated towards lighter beers, lagers in general. Same. Like I'm, yeah, yeah. I am much less of an ale head mm -hmm. than I once was. And part of that is actually regaining appreciation for a beer like this that I think, I don't think it's changed. I think you've changed, Joe. I think that this beer has always been this light and easy to throw back. And that, cause that's what I remember in 2004, having it like uh, at the Texas showdown, this place across from campus at okay. UT where you'd get pictures of it for whatever it was, eight bucks a picture. And I just remember being able to throw back. I could, you know, split a picture with Aaron and the two of us would easily take that down and then maybe even have a second before we left. And, you know, it was. Did we say the ABV at the beginning? It's what, 4.4? 4. 4. 4. There we go. Yeah, this is a very sessionable, very like. So I think in that standpoint, I understand why now it feels less exciting to you or, or less satisfying to you. But I think that's about you is, you know, you're in a phase where you, you appreciate the more robust flavor. You, you appreciate the punch of something unusual. I just, I just recall how much of a departure it was from those macro lights, sure. you know? Well, and then when we're enjoying something like uh pumpkinator bourbon barrel aged <laughs> and the flavor that that brings to the table, this does come across as, as thinner. Great way to say it, Jeremy. None of that's pejorative. It's just changing taste. Shiner doesn't arc. You do, Joe. <laughs> right joe has grown shiner is as stayed the constant yeah, i don't absolutely. think that they should change i yeah. think that they should stick to that original recipe that is clearly so successful for them as they're now coast to coast well i think uh we, we we've had the convo mm -hmm. on the holdovers i think unanimous approval and and excitement about it and and enthusiastic absolutely. recommendations hard yes let's go back in the second half of the episode to that other film that we've already mentioned many times over the first big collaboration between Payne and Jamadi that they did almost 20 years ago that really changed everybody's perspective, or not everybody's, but a lot of the world's perspective on wine and certainly California wine country when we get back for the second half of the episode. You know, we should, probably should have done wine for this half of the episode. Mm, would make I, a lot I, of sense. I, I thought about Hello. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I'm leaving if there's not. Uh, we didn't. We instead tried to pair uh, some beers here. And we were successful, I think, in both Jeremy and uh, Joe and I getting one beer to match up here from New Belgium, which is a brewery that we have great reverence for and we've had on this show three times before now this will be our fourth time with yep. New belgium almost the five timers club well this is their voodoo ranger ipa it is one that is a seven percent abv it's been a little while since i've had this one i know i've had it before jeremy have you had this one before i'm sure i have at some point yeah i feel like you know where i know for sure i had it the experience i had back in february i think when i went to go see bruce springsteen at the Moody Center in Austin yeah. with some mutual friends of Jeremy and mine, their premium beer selection was all the new Belgium stuff. And it was those big, you know, like 19.2, are those the stovepipe cans, right? The 19.2 ounce cans that are like yeah. extra big. Yeah. 
And I think that's what they had this like Ranger line. <laughs> yeah. Well, but that's it, which is insane. But it's funny because yeah. a few of these, this is actually one of the moderate ones in the line. This is 7%. I think a couple of them get up to like 9, 10% alcohol by volume. And they were selling those in 19.2 ounce cans. For all oh, one price, no matter the ABV. That's right. right. So, you know, you yeah, got exactly. <laughs> you gotta you gotta know your business here i can get a little drunker for a premium if i just pick yeah. the right beer well it's been a little while since i've had this one so i'm excited to give it another shot i've always i've appreciated new belgium for you know a lot of years that fat tire was the one that sort of first sure. introduced me to them um but they weren't really around in maine it's kind of interesting i think i was first exposed to it when i moved to texas and then certainly in Chicago, but um, but more recently they've become nationwide, and I think you know Maine has them, probably has had them for a decade at this point. Okay, so I actually had this at home. Jeremy was able to find it in Maine, and I had it in home because I bought a mixed twelve pack of New Belgium's IPAs, like the IPA box. So there's three more there, David. If we want to do a fifth New Belgium today, experimental IPA, haze glare IPA. The Cashmere Eyes IPA. Cashmere Eyes. All what does with that the same, mean? I don't know, all with the same mascot, which is a skeleton wearing cool clothing that matches the the beer itself. Wow. It's you know, when people get this nerdy about beer or yeah. something they're drinking and just get so into the minutiae of it and and want want to talk about all these little subtle variations on it, isn't it just terribly annoying? N not at all. <laughs> not at all. In fact, uh, when we smell, we should do a proper aroma test for this one. I'm going to open the cashmere eyes okay, because yeah. cashmere eyes because it got the most attention. The the little connection I'm trying to make there is, you know, I, I, I think the film that we're going to be talking about alongside these beers very much opened, I think, of many people's eyes to the world of wine appreciation, but also how maybe it could be cover for somebody else uh, self-medicating to an extent. And and that was kind of a theme we didn't really talk about too much with holdovers, though, that, that actually connects these films oh, yeah, is right. substance uh, usage yeah. at the very least. Jim and Beam, the poison of Jim choice Beam in is the a, holdovers. Which is a good bourbon. I mean, I... Drink and a if you're going to go night. on that level of the shelf bourbon, is it Jim Beam or Jack Daniels? Well, Jack Daniels is a Tennessee whiskey. So do you want bourbon oh. or do you want the Tennessee whiskey? I asked that question if you're at the Chris Stapleton show. <laughs> into this level of you gotta hold it up to the light for clarity and color. And well, then, we do are a you wearing gum are you chewing gum, David? All right. We we are as we, we are as guilty of it as anybody on this oh, podcast. Oh, I love it. I'm I mean, a nerd. It's half half of what we do with beer. Um well, it's fun. Okay, so we have a few different IPAs in the mix. Jeremy, I think you may even have a second. Yeah, I'm doing the second one. I'm doing Juice Force IPA. Oh, Ooh, man. All right. So New Belgium stock is up because of this week's episode. We <laughs> all time. have multiple purchases. We'll go around the horn then about all these New Belgiums when we get done talking about Sideways. Based on a, a novel that was actually unpublished before he adapted it or, decided, you know, optioned it and got, and got it ready to adapt uh, for the screen, which depicts a man also played by Paul Giamatti. Uh, the name of this character is Miles Raymond, an aspiring novelist who has, as as to yet, been unpublished, uh, currently teaching eighth grade English, recently divorced, not at a great point in his life, um, as he's probably at least approaching 40. His friend uh, here, played by Thomas Hayden Church, Jack Cole, uh, who's sort of a <laughs> an actor who's had limited success, has had success in a limited way, I should say, um, but who's about to be married and as kind of a final fling before he gets married, this little bachelor duo going out on the road to the California wine country or one part of the California wine country. Actually, I'm glad we have Jeremy here because my one experience with any California wine country is all because of Jeremy. Oh, actually, but marriage related, I guess, although it didn't feel very sideways to me. Anyhow, <laughs> the the two of them uh, who going... cheated on their significant other. <laughs> OK, we're going to get into this in after hours. <laughs> the the two of them going on this kind of, uh, you know, little journey where they're going to get to perhaps Jack is going to get to sow his uh, final wild oats here. And uh, Miles is maybe going to reconnect with his sense of joy. If, if Jack has his way with it, let's go sideways. I love this movie. <laughs> I, I, I have loved it since the first time I saw it. Let me count the ways. Number one, the visual style of the film, the sliding mosaics as time goes by. It's a interesting visual way to show us 
what a winery is like or walking through a vineyard. Uh, you know what I mean? The boxes that I kind do. of emerge and shift and move. The jazz score that is just sometimes in opposition to the strife that we're seeing on the screen or mm-hmm. the feelings that they're feeling in the car when you know they descend into Jack understanding what his moral core, I'm sorry, Miles, uh, Paul Giamatti's character, understanding what his moral core is. Well, he is a deplorable. They are both deplorable, but we root for them, even though they're horrible people, both of them. I, I love this movie so much. It, was it a revisit for you, Jeremy? This wasn't your first time. Yeah, I own it. I love that region of California. Just revisiting it a couple nights ago, um, I only see like one sort of flaw that I think they're just one scene where they sort of reminisce about an adventure back in the old days or some little thread to to make us understand why these two guys are even friends in the first Miles place, and Jack. You know? Oh, yeah. that's interesting. Okay. You huh. know, one where they're truly, like, happy and reliving some old adventure that they, you know, had. And, and just so we can understand, what are these two guys even hanging out together, you know? <laughs> right. I mean, I know they went to college, and that that's sort of loosely explained. But they're polar opposite characters, yeah. you know? That's interesting. No, th- th- and, and I think that's actually really... I think it's a good point. I, On I, paper, I, why are they friends? I do think the film right. could benefit from that. I, I, th- I think one of the things that stood out to me about the film way back when and in, even now rewatching it is they do feel a little bit like an odd couple, right? Like mm-hmm. this is what what is it that would bring these two guys, Hayden Church playing this very kind of airhead bimbo-y kind of, you know. Leading with his dick. Yes. Whereas, you know, you have uh, Jamadi playing the more – you know, sort of intellectual, the more cerebral, the more, you know, but then obviously also having made some bad choices led sure. by his own dick that, that you know, ha- had been there, but you don't really see that come out. It's something that he's kind of closed off from. So it would have been interesting. I think that's a good point that, that you're making. The understanding their relationship would probably even, even make it a little more impactful, but I'm with Joe, I think to the greatest extent here that I do think this is a really great film. I think it's an interesting film as a 2004 film set roughly in 2004, right? Maybe it's maybe it was being shot in 2003. I don't think they were really doing anything to hide the time period. But it's a funny moment just before, you know, smartphones and everything have kind of taken off, just before cars have kind of changed shape. It, it really captures, it feels like the tail end of the 90s to me, I guess, mm, I guess yeah. is what I'm saying. And he's like, driving a later model Saab at that point anyway. Yeah, right. yeah. There's there's this interesting, and it, and it feels like the last gasp of this sort of era where, you know, California wine country could still be sort of semi-hidden and semi-folksy, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I feel like it was probably obviously a big tourist thing, but the way at least that they depict like the hitching post, right? Which is this restaurant that they sort of, a lot of the action is based here, right? Uh, Virginia Madsen's character, uh, uh, th- 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 Maya. Thank Maya. you. Yes, yes. She is a, you know, she works at the restaurant and that's how Miles has met her before and knows her because he goes there regularly. That's his, you know, kind of home base when he goes up to that region, which this is like, this his is office. the Santa Barbara region, right? right? Yeah, just yeah. It's been, Tracy Barbara. and I went to the uh, hitching we did a this we one a, there's a couple locations right we went to yeah we went to the actual one from the film and uh it's much smaller than it looks on on camera interesting and finally maybe having uh, gotten past the decade of everybody going there because it is the bar from sideways <laughs> you know it feels yeah. like that you know uh finally dropped off a little bit i mean it was still kind of packed but not wildly packed but interesting little location me re-watching it to talk about with you guys i think is the first time i've seen the film in well over a decade me too it had been a long time and so seeing it function as this kind of time capsule film was interesting i think also especially because i was thinking about you know where jamadi is in his career now and who he's become since his, and that film this was the film that really made him into it was something american that could splendor in this bang bang leading man yeah. Right? yeah yes you're right you're right american splendor did that for sure this one cemented it and really pushed it to a level where i think it became almost mainstream you know what i mean like it was it was at that higher and he and he's been able to do stuff that a guy who looks like he does should have no right doing <laughs> which i'm glad that he's had that but it is so interesting that he has been able to have that kind of career since this 
at the time, I remember thinking, wow, I'm glad he got this. I don't know that he'll ever have a film like this again. You know what I mean? Right. And then into Cinderella Man and all of these character things that yeah. just solidified him as a presence forever. Jeremy, you're a winehead, I'm taking it? A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did the same tour. I had a drink at the Hitchin Post, and we'll talk about that in After Hours. I'd love to actually go through oh, this totally. whole thing with you. But the wine talk... Seeing it now, many years later, it just solidifies that, that while they're talking about wine, they are talking about themselves. <laughs> oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. there, it's so well written. You know, Virginia Madsen in this film is clearly given the beautiful woman treatment, the framing of her, the lighting. <laughs> Every time that she goes into these long soliloquies, Alexander I Payne has. I think it's fairly easy with Virginia Madsen. I, I, to, you're not wrong. You are not wrong. Treatment, but you're right. You're but right. Alexander Payne and his cinematographer took great pain to make those scenes where this beacon of light and hope for Miles, as we know and what we learn about his own personal life and his wife, and now she's expecting a child. And she she becomes for him very much a lifeline that he blows through this notion of him every time that Jack wants to do something stupid, he goes along with it ultimately, probably the nature of their relationship, their entire relationship, but into these more deep stakes in this little foursome that they've created over the course of their week in the wine country. Yeah, well, that foursome there, I think, you know, Stephanie, the Sandra O oh character, She's rounding so that out. She's so good in this movie. She is. And it, I, this was the first thing I really remember her from. I mean, I, I had she was Grey's Anatomy after this. This was not a big fan of that anyway. But, it, but nonetheless, this was the first thing I remember ever seeing her in. She's great. Complex character in her own right. Um, that, that almost like as I was rewatching this, actually, I was thinking like, I kind of want a film that's more about Stephanie's perspective <laughs> on all of this because she, she's an interesting character and, and sort of along with Virginia Madsen as Maya makes this really compelling sort of, uh, you know, group of four characters yeah. that, that it's fun to see kind of interact and bounce off each other. Yeah. One thing I'm really glad they didn't do is, uh, it would be very easy. I just saw it actually done in, Joyride. I don't know if you guys saw that movie. But, yeah, we did. Um, late second act, they do the you know the breakup to make up. You know the classic rom com thing. Oh yeah, Break yeah, up yeah. and have a clever way of reuniting at the end. And uh, in a lesser movie, would have done that here. And if they made Sideways now, guaranteed they, you know, they say some mean things to one another. You're a terrible writer, and you're an alcoholic, and and you're a bad actor, and they have a fight. And, they go off for five minutes of screen time and sulk and then find a clever way to bring them back together. So the fact that they didn't do that was great, I thought. But they kind of do a version of it, but just in a more dragged out. But it's wrapped up in this Alexander Payne sense of humor, which you know leads to the car getting wrecked. <laughs> the only right. reason why I can explain my broken nose that I got from my lover finding out that I'm engaged and smashing me in the face with a motorcycle helmet is to fake a car crash but he doesn't let miles in on the plan he just steers into a yeah. tree and then once he brings miles into the plan he convinces miles to put the brick on the accelerator and crash into the tree a little bit better but it just veers off from the tree and goes down <laughs> into the ravine and you are belly laughing there is a scene where okay so my uh, running down the hillside with as as he's being chased with the bottle of wine that is, is that another what? one while yeah. he's trying to chug wine while running down a hill <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he chugs an entire bottle of wine as he runs into the vineyard. Yeah. And then finally, when he stops, just tosses the. <laughs> it's, no, oh, it's... but I was thinking of the scene where Jack, the actor, Thomas Hayden Church, after breaking Sandra O's heart and kind of saying, I'm going to you know, start living correctly. He starts to hit on the less <laughs> less than attractive waitress at the, you know, just whatever. He's just not done having sex yet. And leaves his wallet there. So he convinces Jack to go get the wallet. And you see one of my favorite this shots is, in this all is of Alexander cinema. Payne. This yeah, is classic. Alexander. Of a nude man running toward a car that is parked with Jack asleep, needing to be, you know, here comes the comedy, yeah. waking up with a nude man running toward the car. And then the penis is right in the frame of the window as the car. <laughs> you can't not laugh. You can't not laugh. And MC Ganey. And a show the, of force, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. He may or may not have fluffed himself prior to. We don't know, but uh, he's he's naked. He's naked and unashamed, and, you know. And taking up the full height of the movie screen, it 
is this humor i think not, you don't see male genitals but in the in the holdovers this kind of little bit of warped sense of humor with a sexual edge to it is all throughout yeah in the yeah. in the dialogue yeah 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 no that that is a great i mean miles breaking into the house and you know sneaking up while they're you know the the wife and uh the husband are having sex it, it, like using the the events of the night as as sort of their fodder for their for their nasty talk to one another correct is, is just top 10 like and sex Paul's, scenes. Paul but Giamatti's again, facial expressions while he's yes. observing and they oh, don't know it perfect yeah perfect and it, you know it's just like you're talking about like bringing together like screwball slapstick kind of comedy with this really contemporary it, it's, it's brilliant but, this is, uh, but an unexpected turn even in the events that we're seeing sure no yeah. it gets it, again like it, it the stakes ratchet up in these things and they get more and more absurd like you say you know after he's just had this you know taken this beating which is kind of a surprise in itself yeah from sandra oh and you think oh he's okay he's learned his lesson then to just go further along that trail and he shows up naked in the middle of the night and you know having had to it's it, this reminds me how formative this was in terms of me even being able to think about connoisseurship, the, the way that they're talking about the wine, the way that now and again, I think it's satirized. I think mm -hmm. they're sort of making fun of. Oh, you, you think it's satirized when he puts his finger in his ear to smell the wine? Beer? Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think you're right. And that scene makes me laugh every single time. But it's, you know, what he's saying is not untrue. Like what a souffle uh, what, of asparagus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. I definitely taste strawberries. I don't know about the rest of that shit you're saying. <laughs> oh, this is a good one. Yeah, yeah. no, it's, the contrast between Miles and Jack mm -hmm. is great where, you know, Miles is picking out every little note that he can from the wine and and Jack is, you know, kind of throwing it back. All the more shocking and alarming when he, he drinks that spit bucket later. And Yeah. Uh, yeah. Are you chewing gum? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a funny moment, though. That, but for me, this really, I think, marks a moment where I kind of understood in a little different way what that was about like i i don't think i had ever been exposed to people who got that, that nerdy about wines let alone beers but wines fine alcohol or something like that yeah he is the pinot noir as he describes it delicate yes needing to live in one pocket of the world you yeah. know in order to even function and survive cabernet that's a survivor that's not me yeah it's it is so poetic and so beautiful yeah. So George Clooney originally wanted to do the role of Jack, the Thomas Hayden Church. Oh, wow. That would have been very Which different. Which I think still would have really worked. Slap a yeah. beard on that guy. He's got a, got his start in soap operas and obviously TV in his early years. So I feel like that would tether that really nicely. I'm glad Robert that Downey Hayden Jr. Church got wanted it. to do it. Oh, wow. He wanted Who? to do the Miles role. Robert Downey Jr. Interesting. Was, uh, which... I think that'd bring a whole other sad. Well, now wait, was that was that post? It. Was that post? No, sobriety? that's pre. That's uh, when was when sobriety? Was that two thousand seven? Yeah, because he was sober right before Iron Man. Iron Man's two thousand eight, right? Correct. Yeah. So that so that it was probably yeah okay. So this would have been just before. Oh, this would have been a bad film for him to get on. It certainly would have leaned more into the the alcoholism. Yeah, and the self destructive. It would have been more of a drama with comedy whereas you know the brilliance of this you know alexander payne does is this is a comedy with dramatic aspects right yeah I mean, casting genius is that he puts those two guys in there and he puts like easy breezy jazz music and the editing and the pacing and it makes what could otherwise be pretty dark and disturbing characters at, at the central point of their film and, and he makes it kind of light and breezy you know you're right. That's a good point. It's the importance of score. If it had been yeah. a dark, ominous score, this would have been a much different movie. But after all well, these I mean, depressive bouts, you get the jazzy swing. You think about, like, I mean, how far removed is this in some way? I mean, it is. But, like, you know, it, it shares similarities with leaving Las Vegas, right? We we could have, like, of course, yeah, you're you right. know, the, the, there's Parallels. this character who's clearly on a downward spiral in his life. And how far is he going to let it take him? Yeah. Yeah, you just, uh, you never get the feeling like, Giamatti is going to commit suicide, you know, no. or anything like in, like in leaving Las Vegas. Like, you you know, he doesn't have the balls to do that. You know, and I think maybe <laughs> You're he right. even makes, he even way, makes yeah. some sort of reference to it. Well, I can't kill myself because, um, you know, I haven't even done any literary work of note, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's yeah. that um, scene at the wedding. They're back now from the trip. And the ex-wife who he, I got to talk about this scene first. He gets drunk 
when the four of the them, uh, Sandra O, oh, Michelle Madsen, Jack and Miles go out to dinner, because that's the famous, I'm not drinking any fucking Merlot scene. It, but he also says, don't get drunk, don't go dark, and he does. And you see this great little editing montage of a drunk man deciding to go make a call that he should not make, go make a drunk dial call, but it's edited in a way where you hit the uh, the face of the payphone number. Yeah. While he's deciding to do it, he excuses himself to go to the bathroom, but makes a horrible phone call to his ex-wife who uh, – He's now face to face with at the wedding at the end of the film, and she says, "Well, not only am I married, you already knew that, but I'm also pregnant." And that still shot on his face as he processes that information is Whew. just as good as many of those close up scenes uh, in the holdovers where Agreed. we see a change in the man, and it is remarkable. For sure, it's all in the eyes too. You know? Yeah, the eyes, the holding back, the tears, all of it. It's yeah. beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah, this film is ripe with those kinds of really human, emotional moments. That watching it this time, uh, this is two hairs away from being a perfect movie. Rushmore, a perfect movie. And the ending, uh, you know, like he's clearly so obsessed with seventies filmmaking, uh, Alexander Payne. Yeah. You know, I ke- I keep thinking about. You know, having watched the holdovers and sideways, Hal Ashby kept just coming to mind. Yeah. And the classic thing of a seventies ending where you're there's no tight little bow on this. You don't know where how it's gonna unfold. No, but he does leave it, it but it is somewhat on an up note. And I will like I I hear what you're saying and I do like that it, it almost it's weird because it almost feels abrupt the way it ends. Like it's a like a you know, real fast but it it isn't. It's it sort of builds to it in a way, and you know the idea that he's recognized that he has this potential beyond what he's realized, and that maybe this relationship. I don't know. It, it, there's something. I, I there's more of an optimistic beat there than I even remember the film having. I don't find the film's ending abrupt at all. I not in a bad way. It's no, the I'm time- just saying like it feels like it leaves me wanting more. Like. Oh, what's going to happen when that door opens? Or is she going to answer? But again, if if Sideways were made today, you know, it would cut to six months later. And, like, he would lose a bunch of weight and he would finish the book and pare it down to under 750 pages. And, uh, (laughs) you know, and show up at her door. Well, if Sideways would have, you know, one of those kind of, like, you know, cute little endings. If Sideways were made today, Sandra Oh would have checked his socials and saw that he was engaged. You know? Point. It, it was yeah, a different yeah. world it, only 19 oh, years ago right yeah 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 i see what you mean yeah so the, he, much harder to keep those kind of things private these oh, days oh it was yeah. a much better time back then david oh wait, 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 <laughs> did i say that out loud joe really enjoyed his nights at the hitching post back in the day I, oh, i'll I, tell you all I about that it. oh my god oh, i can't wait to hear after hours we love this movie yeah okay. same same well did we love the beers that we tried why don't we start with the one we have in common the Voodoo Ranger IPA. I've been doing open mics on a brand new Wednesday mic at the retro location downtown. Oh, yeah. And they have on tap, it's the only real, real craft beer, this Voodoo Ranger IPA. Wednesday night is a big-ass beer special, 24 ounces for a very nice price. So I've been drinking a couple of these recently. And enjoying it, I assume. I've ordered it more than once. I mean, I think it's a very serviceable IPA. I mean, it's, it's interesting because I wouldn't call it a West Coast it's more in that it's mm-hmm. closer to that and what i'm talking about like the the bitterness is there it's not a juicy and the, and part of that i think you know their line they have these other ones that they actually designate as juicy or hazy you know but this one for being their more straightforward take on the ipa at least i guess the american interpretation of the ipa i think it does it pretty well it's not over the top bitter where it could be off-putting i i like where it is what, what do you think jeremy very good, the Voodoo Ranger IPA. Uh, I know I've had it at some other point uh, back in the day. One of the tall boys. Very good. I mean, it's no champagne of beers, but um, <laughs> it's all right. And the Shiner. I got to say, actually, that's my favorite takeaway from this. Is that's just of the a, episode, yeah, a solid beer. You know, yeah. I love hearing that. Like, I'm I'm glad we got that across. Yeah, I think Shiner is one of those beers that. As I said, me coming to know it as that beer that was available by the pitcher at a you know a dive bar near the campus at UT, but also like the, since then, as this like Joe said, this somewhat reliable, especially if you're in Texas. But I've even seen it in other places. There there are other areas where they will have Shiner as a 
you know, kind of like that next tier option that you, if you're at a bar that doesn't necessarily have a long list of craft beers or anything like that, there may be Shiner Bach available and right. it is a great option when it is. Indeed. And, and, and this one too, this one, this Voodoo Ranger IPA is serviceable. It reminds me a little bit of that double dry hop we had from Interboro with Run the Jewels last week. It does everything to call itself an IPA, but it's not hitting you over the head with anything super, super, super special. It's just serviceable. And for that, I will order it again this Wednesday. Good stuff. <laughs> How was that Juice Force IPA, Jeremy? We had it back in Good. episode. I, I, in small doses, I can handle it. It's not one that I want to drink consistently. A L- you know? little more robust flavor than you would want for a like regular, just I'm going to have a full can of this myself every day yeah here. exactly and we're also kind of like bouncing around the globe here so you know we're dealing with the shiner and a light sort of undistinct kind of but i don't say that in a bad way but you know the shiner then the voodoo into the so no i like it I'd, I'd start with one of these and probably move on to something you know good point good 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 way to go like start with that intensity and then kind of move to something a little easier yeah we did right. the juice force new belgium ipa back in episode 193 david and we paired it with ready white hot the rise and fall of abercrombie and fitch oh wow what a weird one remember that yeah i do okay and then we had a documentary it was a netflix doc yeah i mean not that great but it's sort of an interesting time period to reflect on that is true and i like to learn a little bit about anything and it told you some secrets about the fashion industry uh, at the mall so we also had the we had david you and i the cashmereized ipa i cannot see anything on the can about what a cashmereized ipa looks like but in it some has of nothing their, to do with led zeppelin right now it's not cashmere like with the k no it's no a, not at all and looking at their marketing stuff they're not telling you a lot either cashmere. a mixed 12 pack right four different ipas that new belgium is putting out right now and we know that there's a fifth one with the one that jeremy just had what did you think about this cashmereized ipa I was okay with it. It was it was a little more like Jeremy was saying with the juice force. It's a more robust kind of flavor than yeah. the straight it is Voodoo Ranger IPA. But I didn't find it was over the top. It didn't it didn't put me to. But like what Jeremy's saying, I think I have uh, as you ratchet up that intensity of the flavor with the beer, it does make it something that's harder for me to imagine drinking more than just a little bit, which here I'm having like maybe six ounces because we're sharing a 12 ounce can. Right. That works just fine. But I wouldn't want to go much beyond that. I don't yeah, know. this is a perfect for a mixed four pack because when I hit this one every fourth time, if I'm going in perfect rotation, it may not be my favorite in the 12 pack. Okay. Would you drink it if you only had one knit glove on your hand? <laughs> you know, standing was, by a river. Yeah. yeah, standing by the river as I threw the other glove in as the ultimate token of giving up and giving in to the bullies. This might just help that pain go down a little more smoothly. That's just right. you and your cashmere. Okay. Well, Jeremy, you said you're going to stick around for after hours. The first question I'm going to ask you is you tell your version of the wine country thing because we, I think, are going to mine some interesting Dave Gurney formative territory in after hours. I don't bring my high school friends around. I don't want you guys to know shit about me. <laughs> um, but the conversation is not going to end there, right? I mean, the conversation is not in now. We're going to – Take it to After Hours, patreon.com slash Beer in a Movie Podcast. Head over to beerinamoviepodcast.com, where not only can you see some curated things, list of what we've done, a list of all the Five Timers Club. You're welcome, New Belgium. You enter it today, the Five Timers Club, and we've had five of your beers. But also some merch. Christmas is coming up, David. Beer in a Movie shirts for everybody. That's right. Facebook, Instagram, X. But Discord's another fun place to go. You can go to Discord and search Beer in a Movie. The conversation continues. Or hit us up on any DM on any of the things I just said, and we'd love to get you in there. Some revolt against our opinion of The Killer this week in Discord, which I imagine we'll talk about now. Ooh, I'd love to. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, a friend of David since high school. Thanks for having me, guys. I'll uh, yeah. see you in after hours with my cancer-riddled penis. Uh <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what a line that was. Oh, we're done. We're done. Oh, hold on, hold on. Well, this has been a cancered riddle penis episode of Beer in a Movie. I don't know if you can do better than Jeremy just did, David, but until next time. Life is like a henhouse ladder. Shitty and short. Ooh.